Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. They know the ins and outs of everywhere we're going. They will protect you. Horses, run! And they just like, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I feel like I got a great break on a used car. <laughs> That was a great, great quote. (laughs) This is war, Marcus. He's going to the bathroom. Are you in his house, you little psycho? Get get out of there. Look, it's a giant womb. No, no. Hi, I'm Mike Butler. I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that for a variety of reasons was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie or maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms of the backlog of over 150 episodes for your listening pleasure. And like that, season 13 comes to an end. Uh, How's it going? uh, It's going okay. You know, I'm just. Just getting ready to celebrate our end of the uh, season party, or you know the typical rager that we always throw. <laughs> oh, uh, I don't think I get invited to those. We, this oh, is, is it, something that happens. Just, oh, you didn't get the invites? No, I did not. Oh, I'll look into that. I'll have my people call your people. But I'm sorry, Mr. Butler, you're going to have to run again. Everybody runs. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're doing Minority Report. I know, I know. It's not forgotten, Mike. It's not forgotten. We get it. We get it. Well, screw you. We think it is. Based on the story by famed science fiction writer Philip K. Dick, Minority Report is an action detective thriller set in Washington, D.C. in 2054, where people utilize a psychic technology to arrest and convict murderers before they commit their crime. Pre-crime, basically. Tom Cruise plays the head of this pre-crime unit and is himself accused of the future murder of a man he hasn't even met. What? I don't even know this guy. I'm not going to kill him. I don't even know. (laughs) This is uh, whatever. We're doing Minority Report. (laughs) <laughs> Whatever, we're just doing it. Minority Report has a runtime of 145 minutes. That's right, two and a half hours. Oh boy. Rated PG 13, production budget of $102 million. Came out on Friday, June 21st, 2002. So, big time summer release. Opening weekend, it did $35 million domestic, $132, and worldwide, $358 million. So, uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Ooh. Uh, you don't think that's pretty good? No, that's pretty good. All right. Yeah. Production company was 20th Century Fox, DreamWorks Pictures, Amblin Entertainment, and Blue Tulip Productions. It was distributed by 20th Century Fox in the United States, and they actually controlled the, they distributed on the international video market, and DreamWorks did distribution to the international markets in theatrical and the North American video markets. But I believe Paramount owns this now, if I'm not mistaken. I think they purchased this in their library. Also, this is the, I know this is the first film that Spielberg did with 20th Century Fox. And I know he did the post with 20th Century Fox, but I don't know if he did anything after that. The post was 2017. That is just, that's in my head. Hmm. So I don't know if you've kind of, uh, you know, that's something that people like, that kind of note. I like that note, you know. So I said this came out on the 21st of June and went up against in a wide release Lilo and Stitch and Juana Man. Well, I'm a big Lilo and Stitch fan. I am not a big Juana Man fan. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also in a limited release, Sunshine State and Dahmer. The 28th of June, you had a wide release of Mr. Deeds and Hey Arnold, the movie, and a limited release of Lovely and Amazing and Pumpkin. You said the Hey Arnold movie just right, by the way. Good job. Well, there was an exclamation point. That's so. how you're supposed to say it, because that's how she says the title. I didn't know if you'd get that right. Oh, congrats. Good, good congrats. Job. A little golf clap for me? A little millennial thing, yeah. Oh, Christ. <laughs> On the 14th of June, in a wide release, you had Scooby-Doo. Did I say that right? And Wind Talkers, also the Born Identity. And in a limited release that week, you had The Dangerous Lies of Alter Boys, The Emperor's New Clothes, and Gangster Number 1. Do you know any of those? Any of these movies that I've talked about? Wind Talkers is great. Scooby-Doo is great. And uh, what was the other one in between there? Born Identity. Born Identity. Yeah, obviously. Yes. I love you like, do you like Lilo and Stitch, which came out the same week? Uh, I like Lilo and Stitch, but I'm not as into Lilo and Stitch as everybody else. Lilo and Stitch is good, though. A lot of people really like Lilo yeah. and Stitch. Lilo I like Lilo and Stitch. Lilo and Stitch is good. Yeah. No, it's good. It's not a top five for me. Ooh, top five what? Disney films? Disney films. Like, oh, you're yeah. not counting Pixar? No, I consider Pixar. Other, otherwise, it would be all Pixar. Well, I mean, you're also going up against a large catalog of Disney films. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, I could, I would 
I think an argument can be made for in terms of Disney films, it's it's top five in the two thousands and the new millennium. Yeah. 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 Uh, listen, I like Frozen, but Frozen's overrated. I prefer Moana far over Frozen. Well, I prefer Tangled over Frozen. I know. Tangled is good as yeah. well. I Moana I think is my favorite of the two thousands. Right. Minority Report was number one in its opening weekend and number two with Lilo and Stitch. But Lilo and Stitch sold more tickets. And the reason why it was number two is because kids are cheaper. Yep. So I thought that was interesting. So, I mean, to me, Lilo and Stitch is the number one. Sold more tickets. That's the Whoever number one. Comes, yeah. But I thought that was an interesting, like, interesting caveat. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I thought that was weird. One yeah. because of just amount of money. Right. So this movie is directed by a relatively unknown director called Steven Spielberg. I don't know if anyone knows who that is. You know, um, thank you for pro- pronouncing that last name because I was getting it wrong. Yeah, no, I, I'm not sure if people are aware of his work. He's done a couple films. I mean, they're not nothing. They're not great. Obviously, he's, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm an unapologetic uh lover of steven spielberg i think he is a fantastic director a fantastic i should say that i should not just director he's a fantastic storyteller but i will try not to put i will try not to <laughs> have this podcast go off the rails again where i just talk about everything that he's done he's done the movie the sugarland express which is what movie that we did mm-hmm. more recently he did west side story and i know obviously everyone knows he does indiana jones uh one through four actually he's not doing five uh written by scott frank and John Cohen, he actually, it's really, John Cohen wrote the first, I believe wrote the first or second draft and Frank just came in and rewrote it. This also has an uncredited rewrite by John August. Uh, Frank has done, has been nominated for two Oscars, one for Logan and Out of Sight. Uh, he also has done The Walk Among the Tombstones. I know that you want to keep putting that on the podcast I still list. want to rewatch it to see if I like it or I don't like That's it. That's what like, the podcast is for. And then he also wrote and produced uh, some episodes for Queen's Gambit, the TV show on, was that Netflix? Netflix, yeah. Okay. Yep, John Cohen has really done nothing else other than just Minority Report. Uh, the cinematography was Janusz Kaminski, who has been nominated for seven Oscars, but he won two, Saving Private Ryan and Schindler's List. Composer was John Williams. Now, Butler, I asked this of my buddy Adrian today, and he did not, He got this answer wrong. How many times has John Williams been nominated for an Academy Award? Oh, man, it's like a lot. I'm going to say 11. 52. Oh, wow. No joke. I actually counted. That does not surprise me. I mean, like, wow, but yes. 52. He's nominated for Oscar 52 times, and he's won five. He won for Shinda's List, E.T., Star Wars, Jaws, and Fiddler on the Roof. What I find interesting is the Society of Classical Music Directors or something like that. Basically, all the people that do classical music have declared Jurassic Park as the best soundtrack of the 20th century. And yet that was not one of the ones he won for. Yeah. Well, well, one of the things I was noticing. So a lot, a lot of these credits in here, a lot of Oscar winners are from Saving Private Ryan. And it still bugs me the fact that that movie never won Best Best Picture. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. That's that's a complete. That's I hated that. I hated the nomination. I like Shakespeare in Love, but I hated that win. Excuse me. I thought Saving Private Ryan was was the Academy Award winner. It took year. me years to want to watch Shakespeare in Love because of. No, it's, it's it was Private it Ryan. was nominated for the reason that this that was one of the first years where they were just flooding everybody with screeners. And that really ticked me off. That's why it won because of marketing. It didn't win, even though I'm in marketing. It didn't win <laughs> because of the movie. So I'll get my I'll get off my soapbox. Edited by Maka Khan, who won an Oscar for Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's been nominated eight times. Uh, produced by Bonnie Curtis, Yonder Bond, which I'll get into, Gerald Molin, and Walter F. Parks. Uh, Curtis has done AI, Artificial Intelligence, Red Eye, and Terminator Dark Fate. Uh, Molin has won an Oscar for Shindler's List. He also produced Twister and Days of Thunder. And Parks has produced Project X, the Matthew uh, Broderick one, mm. and The Trigger Effect, which is what we did, and Gladiator, the Russell Crowe Gladiator. Now, do you know about the Yonder Bond notes? Uh, why don't you tell me about the end of it? Okay, here we go. So this is, <laughs> we're going to dip in some facts here. So Jan de Bont was initially going to direct this film and Spielberg was producing it. But Spielberg took over because he wanted to work with Tom Cruise. And so, and then after that, de Bont, Jan de Bont did nothing with the movie. Primarily probably because Steven didn't want him to. Right. I don't want, Mr. Spielberg, excuse me. And he actually, Spielberg has publicly questioned the credit so that i that no i didn't right so, yeah. so that note but it gets it gets even better butler <laughs> <laughs> so here's the note that i copied and pasted he was going to direct his film but he had personal problems with spielberg on a previous film the haunting because spielberg produced the haunting it was a major rift that because debont felt that spielberg ruined his film with all the special effects and emphasis on the house itself rather than the film's the psychological aspects so when Spielberg took over this film, 
he agreed, he had DeMont agreed not to be involved in the film in any way. And that's why he got the producer credit and got paid for doing nothing. But there's bad blood there, Butler, which I like. I like hearing that. <laughs> I don't like The Haunting. And here's the thing. Everyone says Spielberg ghost directed Poltergeist. And Poltergeist is amazing. He didn't. He didn't poster. He didn't. Um, he did not. But I. He I didn't. Just, he. I. I listen. Ha- that's great. You watched that. But I. I can't I believe that anything. he would have. I read a book. I can't <laughs> believe that he would have ruined the haunting with Steven Spielberg's involvement. Spielberg took. I, he's a, a storyteller. He knows how to tell stories. He wouldn't have made it worse. When Poltergeist came out, and that was the question, Spielberg took a full page ad out in Variety, I believe, and said, and "Congratulated Toby Hooper," and said he didn't do it. Sure. And he also. That was one of the first films that Spielberg was producing. So he was hands on. He's hands on. He's a hands on producer back then. Sure. So he's going to be influenced by that. He's going to do that. Sure. He did not direct Poltergeist. Sure. Watch Toby Hooper's other stuff. It's not like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is obviously. There's nothing like Poltergeist. It's fantastic. But that's not. Hooper is not Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Hooper's is other stuff. You can watch his other stuff. It's very similar to Poltergeist. Watch it. Pol- that's, that's he fine. did not direct Poltergeist. But I can't see Steven Spielberg being like making the story worse. Although oh, my, no. bro- my brother loves The Haunting. Hmm. Okay. My brother doesn't watch many movies. Your brother's not going to be a guest on the show. No, he, is, he, is, uh, he, is, he needs to watch more movies. This movie stars <laughs> Tom Cruise as John Anderton. We've never... This is our first Tom Cruise movie. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm blanking on the... Oh, Oblivion. That's right. We did Oblivion. 500 other no. Tom Cruise collateral I, like, I, I wasn't going to write the movies he was in, and I'm just He's like... Done, eh. This has got to be at least number six. What was the other one? We did Oblivion. We did Oblivion, Collateral. Collateral. That's it. Oh, no. We did other ones? Yeah. Wow. We got to really stop doing Tom Cruise films. All right. So he's, you know, who Tom Cruise is Mission Impossible, Rain Man, Risky Business, Taps, Top Gun, and Top Gun Maverick, which I still recommend you go see. Mm -hmm. Max von Sydow is in this movie as Lamar Burgess. He is nominated for two Oscars, one for Pell the Conqueror and the other for Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. He's also been in Three Days of the Condor, a movie we did many, many seasons ago. Mm -hmm. Great film. Great, great film. Samantha Morton as Agatha. She's been nominated for two Oscars as well. One for Sweet and Lowdown and In America. She's also, I didn't realize this, she was in a, one of the seasons or maybe she's still on the show, TV's uh, Walking Dead. Sure. I guess. I don't know. That's what I got that note. I do not watch Walking Dead. I don't either. Colin Farrell as Danny Whitwer. He's from uh, Miami Vice. An episode we did, The Lobster, Tigerland, and he's in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Is that what you call it? Yes. Okay. There you go. Tim Blake Nelson as Gideon from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? The Incredible Hulk and Lincoln. Catherine Morris as Laura Clark. I only know her from the TV show Cold Case. She's also in The Contender and Mine Hunters. Mine Hunters. That's a movie. Mm. Neil McDonough as Fletcher or Fletch, as uh, as Anderton keeps calling him in this movie. Uh, the douche. In, <laughs> he's in Timeline. Actually, we did that last season. Yep. Or this season. Last season. This season. This season we did Timeline. It was after Oblivion. Yep. He's in the TV show Boomtown, which I oddly remember, and in, he's in Captain America: The First Avenger. He is one of the well, I don't know, I don't know the name of that crew that is in World War II. He's Dum Dum Dugan. He's yeah, yeah one so of his. Uh, he's in that. Uh, Patrick, this is. I mean, this can't be this guy's real name. Patrick Kilpatrick, like that can't be his real name. That's got to be a stage <laughs> name. He plays not. He plays the. He's in Death Warrant, Under Siege Two, Dark Territory, and Last Man Standing. He plays the guy that keeps trying to. Give Anderton his hat. He's like he's like liking the fact that he's going to get him. He's like, oh you know, yeah, yeah. Daniel London as Wally. Wally is the uh, creepo who takes care of the uh, <laughs> the precogs in this. You're back, Daddy. <laughs> Wally's back. Wally's yeah, back. calm down, Wally. He's in Patch Adams, Rent, Big Trouble, and he's uh, a lot. There's a lot of stage performances. Peter Stormare as Solomon Eddie, who has the cold when he's doing surgery. He's in Lost World, Jurassic Park two, Fargo, John Wick Chapter two, and Constantine. And then Lois Smith as Iris Hineman. Twister, Ladybird, and the Nice Guys. And then you might have, I, I did not see him in this. And Ari Gross plays Howard Marks, the guy in the beginning that they, the, I keep wanting to say wand, but the guy in the beginning that they capture. Jim Rash is in this. He plays a technician. I don't know where he was. Jim and, Rash is there? Yeah. Really? And Frank Grillo's in this. He's one of the pre crime cops. I could not find him. I could well, there's not like find seven him. Seven of those guys. But there, yeah. There's also, a, there's also a, there's a couple cameos. Cameron Crowe plays the guy who sees Anderson on the bus and looks at him. Okay. Yep. And because he's reading the paper. Paul Thomas Anderson is in there somewhere, but I don't know where. Cameron Diaz is actually sitting behind Crowe because Cruz started working on this film like days after finishing Vanilla Sky. And they, Okay. Diaz's Vanilla Sky, Camera Crow Director yep. Vanilla Sky. David Hornsby's in this as pre crime public service announcer. Don't tell me where. <laughs> he's uh, he's obviously cricket from It's Always Sunny. He's the producer as well. Obviously, January Jones is in the um, commercial for pre crime. Yep. 
Yeah, so she's in there as well. If you know, Jeremy Jones is from Mad Men and other and X Men. Uh, yep. yep, the new X Men. So yeah, so there are a bunch of people in there that I just I couldn't find some of them. Some of them I could find. I, I want to look for Jim Rash now. <laughs> so I dress like a lady. I don't know where technician <laughs> would be. Where is technician? I mean, yeah, obviously Cruz's uh, cousins in this. William Mopather. Or I can't. I think that's his, how you say his last oh, name. So, he yeah. plays the the guy at the hotel when they're trying to go see Leo Crow. Yep. And Leo Crow is Mike Binder, who's been in a couple of things. So it, there's a lot of people in this film. A lot of people. All right. I mean, I like this film. I'm not. I'm, I'm not gonna. You know, make any bones about it. I'm a big fan of this film and got a ton of notes, ton of behind the scene notes. Uh, but obviously, why don't you give us your thoughts? Because I've talked way too long. Uh, this is our fifth Tom Cruise movie, by the way. <laughs> so you've been spending the entire time counting. Uh, I was communicating with you, but yes, yes. This is communicating with me. Thank you. <laughs> uh, this movie, I, I mean, I'm the one that put this on the list. I think this movie is fantastic. How many times have you seen this film before we did this film? I haven't seen this film in quite some time. Me neither. Um, but I have seen it probably. This is probably my fourth or fifth time watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I watched it in theaters, of course, and then my parents bought it. This is 2002, so I'm just in high school. And that I probably watched it a few times, you know, throughout high school, just watching the DVDs and special features, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I really liked this movie when it first came out. I thought mm-hmm. it was really, really cool. Told a really good story. Was sci-fi, but not sci-fi. Like it, it hit a lot of buttons. That and you I like. Thought, and yeah. And I liked the fact, I liked the way that, you know, Tom Cruise and Spielberg had developed uh, John Anderton as a protagonist, that he's not necessarily the, you know, the white knight hero. You know, he's he's got a lot of issues. He's not necessarily but he's a drug guy. addict. Yeah, he's a drug addict, which I love. I love that too into precog stuff at first, at least. Well, he likes his job. Yeah. But his job was his mission because of, he lost his son. Exactly. I'm like sure that, if you haven't seen this film. He was developed yeah. into making. Yeah. Yeah. He, his son was taken as he was at the public pool and someone just swiped his son as he was underwater. And you know, that's which is the worst fear, the worst fear of any parent. And that. That kind of like, and what's her fit? His wife told Lamar, like the reason why he came to pre-crime to work for you was because he, he didn't want other people to lose their, you know, have ever have that again. Yeah. Right. So it was a big thing. It was just like his passion. So, you know, that's, that's why he was into it. As, as you say, I really enjoy the Anderson angle. And I like Whitwer. I like that. He's got this villain in Whitwer. Who's not really a villain. Like right guy. off in the yep. bat, you know, that he just questions the project. He questions the lack of, police work that really goes into the precogs and right off the bat you can't help but kind of also understand where he's coming from because the very first case it's like you're arresting this guy before he commits any crime Mm -hmm. and he's not like a serial killer he's not like a crazy murderer and although i don't think they should have shown him try to stab his wife i think him having the scissors should have been enough no they they always see the crime though because it was a red ball so they always see the crime. Well, they see the crime in the vision. Yes. But I mean, like you see him, he goes to stab her and then they stop him right as they crash down. Or Tom Cruise stops him right at the last second. Yeah. I think it would have worked better if he didn't stab. And then at least oh. as the audience, we always had the question of, but would he have stabbed her? Well, this but whole movie is yeah. questioning free will versus determinism. That's a big time exactly. thing in this film. So, I mean, I like Whitworth and I like his, his religious angle, which I don't usually like in a film with that. Like, he presents a good point. Like he is religious. He does believe in a higher power and in some ways thinks of the precogs as oracles in a way, but at the same time questions, you know, the lack of, you know, due process and actually like guilt versus innocence and stuff like that. And I think that makes it for an interesting villain to at least compete with until you find out who the true villain is in, you know, Lamar Burgess. Spoiler. Uh, but yeah, I like I like all of that. And obviously Agatha coming out, the precog coming out and seeing the real world is interesting. The eyeball stuff, all the future stuff is, I think, setting it in 2054 is an interesting year because it's far enough in the future that it's far in the future. Mm-hmm. But it's still he sets it in a, in a world that's very much like today, like all the advertisement stuff, especially nowadays. It's like where they go like, hey, Mr. Yakamoto, how'd you like those tank tops? And like, that's <laughs> like so we're so close to that already. Yeah. You know, online, we're already there. And like, we're just two seconds away from that. The eye scanning technology, you know, the motion sensor uh, monitors and stuff like that. We're the technology is really interesting. Right. Well, yeah, but they never did. What's funny is that they didn't never predicted iPads. Like the, the, the papers that change 
is right, interesting, yeah. but that's everyone on an iPad now. You know what I mean? Exactly. Scrolling. You're never going to have that. Right, right. The uh, whole ki- glass thing that you transfer from one computer to the other, it's like now there's USB sticks. You've never had that big glass. Right. Thing. Those glass things are are based on the uh, their clear plastic versions of iOmega's pocket zip disks. And I assume they pick those because they looked good. Mm. You know, because it's, it's a good, like, it's a nice movie thing like a nice look oh yeah absolutely yeah um yeah so one of the biggest notes i always have for this film that i always like is uh the note that spielberg three years before production began assembled a team of 16 future experts uh they got like a hotel room in santa monica like for a weekend in santa monica and it was a bunch of really smart guys from different fields you know like neil gershenfeld as a professor at media lab at mit Sean Jones, a director of biomedical research at DARPA, which is, you know, Defense Advanced Research Projects mm-hmm. Agency. A ton of people, some authors, just a whole. And, and basically it was like, I can't. What, what's the the line from Armageddon that Bruce Willis says? You know, you got a whole bunch of smart people. Put them in a room and think shit up like that's yeah, what oh, they yeah, did. Yeah. They put them in a room and said, tell me what life is going to be like in 2054. And that's what they did. And a lot of things that they came up with has come true, like you talked about. And maybe some things has that haven't come true. I know the one thing that Spielberg said he doesn't. You know, he doesn't think it's ever going to happen is the per- is the personal jetpacks, but he wanted to put him in there because he likes that. And yeah, yeah, the yeah. jetpacks were kind of silly. But, I don't, I, I, have, but, I, but I don't mind jetpacks. I don't understand why we don't have Oh, no, packs. they're dope, yeah. but they're very dangerous. <laughs> I mean, the first cop, he's like, you got the grip? You got a grip? Because he took his jetpack off and almost killed the guy. I mean, it's like. Well, uh, I just read an article about a giant hotel that's going to be powered by three nuclear reactors that's going to fly above the it's going to fly in the air and it could be up there for years ever coming down you can't tell me that we're not going to get pocket nuclear reactors for these jetpacks listen you hear about the guy that they keep reporting near los angeles he keeps flying next to the airliners (laughs) they keep reporting there's never taking a photo of him, but they keep going, Hey, there's a guy next to us in a jetpack, <sighs> and it's some so they don't know who it is, it's some private guy in a jetpack, He's, and he keeps flying next to airplanes. Yeah, hey, they're there, we have them. <laughs> so, yeah, so that, that's the biggest note from this is just the stuff that they thought up. As, as like I said, I'm paraphrasing Bruce Willis from uh, Armageddon, just think shit up. So, yeah, so that's I, I think that was that movie. I'm sure someone's gonna correct me if not. That's always the note I have. It's always the note I talk to people about this film. Yeah, I also like this film. I, I think I like I didn't the music in this movie, I really, really dig. I love the music uh at certain moments in this film that John Williams score, obviously the end when they're they're revealing Lamar Burgess like what happened. Oh, yeah. I I love that beat. Um the the music that when they're chasing him through the car factory, the whole the car factory is awesome. It, yeah. It's like an Indiana Jones score right. almost. The car factory scene is actually interesting. I have a note about that. That that scene is based on an idea that Hitchcock had uh that was for a never film sequence in North by Northwest. Like that's something that he wanted to do, and that's what that's based on, which I thought was awesome. That's I love interesting that note. Because I put a note in that it reminds me exactly of Attack of the Clones around the same time mm-hmm. when Anakin and uh Padme are in the Genos. Oh, building. then yeah, that's and he also gets his hand almost chopped off by the same thing. I was like, that's almost scene for scene. And Spielberg and Lucas are good friends. Well, I, so also, I wonder if they both took. Well, I also read a note that there's a lot of musical beats and musical numbers in this that are fr- that are very similar to Attack of the Clones because John Williams didn't come to this project until later because he was working on Attack, Attack of the Clones. Clones. That so, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, he was super busy, obviously, at the time. There's a lot of John Williams stuff where you can kind of like, Elise is always like, "Oh man, the Harry Potter score is so great." I'm like, "That's great," but also this is from Star Wars. This is Indiana Jones. Like, you can pick out things from his later scores that are oh inspired yeah. by his earlier work for sure. I don't know if when ever, you've done like a million films, it's just going to happen. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I, I love all I obviously I'm a big fan of his scores, but my one of my favorite scores of his is Superman. I love oh, Superman, Superman. Awesome. but I but like far and away from the other stuff. I just don't I don't know why. I just I really dig Superman. It's one of his earlier works. So a lot of that's yeah. like him cutting his tooth and actually making maybe maybe. Score. Yeah, maybe the theme Lois Lois's love theme. The I love the and it took years for it to come out. The. Pocket funeral score. Right, right. I right, think that's right. a great score. And that took 20 years for it to actually end up on the album. Mm-hmm. One of the things I did not know about this film that I learned when we for this podcast was that this was actually going to be the sequel to Total Recall. Did you read that? You did not hear that at all? No. Was, yeah. I, 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 so this, so in this movie, this this story was optioned in 1992 as a sequel to Total Recall. It was going to be Total Recall 2. Uh they changed the precogs. Were going to be uh, created by uh, the the Martian atmosphere. There were going to be genetic mutations from the Martian atmosphere. Okay. The lead character was going to be changed to Douglas How- to, to Hauser, 
from and it was going to be a total recall two vehicle and then it just never came to fruition and it ended up just going through a couple different hands and then it became an order report but i did never knew that never knew it was going to be total recall two i don't know how you even get uh, well total recall <laughs> itself is based on a uh, yeah yeah well, so that's why yeah. the, and it was a big success and they so were going to turn another short story. Yeah, into a they were going to change it. They were going to take. How do you get Schwarzenegger's character into another? I just don't understand how you get him to be involved in another story like that. I don't know. It just never happened. So, so I, I'm kind of <laughs> glad it became its own thing if, if, in its own universe. Same universe. That'd be cool. I mean, the it, Philip K. Dick verse. Well, look at like Tears from the Sun that, that Willis was in was going to be in a Die Hard movie. And then they just decided, no, it can't be a Die Hard I film. I didn't even know that. Yeah. There was going like to be a diehard film. Okay. So, you know, like there's all this tons of stuff like that. They're, oh, they were trying to always find uh, diehard sequels. Oh, yeah. You know, like stuff like that. They're just looking for concepts. Well, diehards are probably the most pitched thing ever. Diehard, but on a oh, yeah. diehard, but diehard in a hockey place. rink. I give you yeah. sudden death. Diehard on a bus. I give you speed. <laughs> <laughs> diehard on a train. I give you under siege too. Dark territory. <laughs> I mean, diehard on a boat. I give you under siege. I mean, it's, it's right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Interesting, interesting. So yeah, so I it's tired of phone booth. I gave you a phone booth. No, I'm, just kidding, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. So I I never knew that it was going to be a sequel. I mean, I love Total Recall, but I love Total Recall for just the sheer, you know, cheese value. The, yeah, the the quotes, the the lines, the you know, just the 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 action and the violence. Like it's just so absurd, but I love it. It's schlocky in the right way. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, you know, I don't know. I just I I dig it. So this film was also going to be called Second Sight, which I do not like. That was a, that was like a working title. I did not like that. No. Although I wonder if Second Sight is actually the title they hid on the uh, the, the fake the title. Yeah, stuff, yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering if like, you know, they were sending it out and it was just kind of like, you know. Second Sight, uh, whatever. I'm really interested. <laughs> Where's Steven Spielberg filming that minor report movie? So the precogs are named after famous mystery writers. Do you know the mystery writers are named after? Uh, Doyle, Agatha Christie. And then the other guy I'd never even really heard of. Dashiell Hammett. Hammett. Yeah. Which I, a, don't, yeah I don't know. Crime, no, crime writer. Yeah. Okay. He's really good. Really good. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is Doyle. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Because <laughs> Arthur, Dashiell, and Agatha. Um, yeah. So there you go. That's my note. And we're done. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I like the note that uh, Stephen Spielberg was going to do the bubble in the bathtub scene with the spiders. Oh, God, by I know. And Tom Cruise is like, no, I'll learn how to do it. I'll figure this out. <laughs> Spielberg was going to do the bubble. So when. What kind of when bubble the, you want? I'll, I'll be a professional bubble maker. So when the when the spiders, which are described as, I believe, if Rolex made grenades, I think that's what they said, or want like really high. I can't think okay. it was Rolex. So they throw the spiders in to go check everybody, but to scan everyone's eyes, you know, make sure that it's who they are, which I swear to God is coming. Uh, <laughs> so he tries to hide in the tub. He sits there and the spiders come in and they don't see him. They, uh, he... No, I'm sorry. They're about to leave and he blows a bubble comes out from his mouth or his nose. Right. And pop. And then the spiders come in and shock him and they just scan him. But like, yeah, he was going to CGI that bubble, like Butler says. And Cruz took it upon himself to learn how to create that bubble. I will make that bubble. Like, like I will shape it myself. How about the <laughs> fact that when they do the surgery on his eye and the and they they use those things to pry his eye open. Oh, and I'm like, really what happening? are you yeah. doing? Like, no thanks. But it's like um Malcolm McDowell in the Oh, Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange. He actually had his eyes. He actually cut his retina. Ugh. I couldn't see for like. No, thanks. Yep. Like, you know, because they cut to just the hands doing it. You know, that's a surgeon doing that. You know, that's somebody that does oh, that procedure. Yeah. You're yeah. not giving it's the not guy. Peter Stormare. Yeah, Stormare's <laughs> like, all right, I'm going to do it. Give it a shot. Oh, I'll do all right. Let me just blow my nose again. Yeah. Let me just you know, sneeze. You know, everywhere. Tom Cruise would be like, all right. Yeah, no, <laughs> let's do this. I did that bubble. <laughs> Tom Cruise took a pay cut to do this movie. Well, the. Nah. <laughs> not just a pay cut so tom cruise and spielberg waived their usual salary and one of the notes i have and it was in wikipedia i didn't write it down but one of the notes basically spielberg has talked about he tells people i believe for a while now that he says 80 percent of his films are not done by movie stars he tells them listen you need to if you're going to do this film with me you need to take some risks with me you need to take that risk and believe in me so Spielberg waves his fee and, and the, basically the actors wave their fee and they both waive their fee for this movie. And they took 15% of the gross and 15% of the gross of 358 million is 53.7 million. So they each made 53.7 million. Nice. I mean, it's like, Oh yeah. Geez. It's like, Oops. you know, 
you almost like the the studio should be like, no, 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 no. We don't take a percentage. We'll pay you. <laughs> no, yeah. too late. Sorry. So yeah, so I think Spielberg always takes a percentage of the of. He's so rich now; he probably can afford to, but always takes a percentage of the gross. Right, and he has his stars do that as well. I don't probably not for West Side Story because there wasn't that many big stars in that. They, but, yeah, they yeah. probably want to get paid. Yeah, but yeah, no, yeah, I, I read that note too. It's just like, yeah, not a bad payday. That's also West payday. Side Story is also a cast with a lot of leads, but it's also it's not they're not big name stars who are going to demand big salaries. Oh yeah, but I mean, if even if they got a percentage, their percentage would have to be smaller. Well, they didn't make a lot of money. Too many people. Yeah, that's true too. That's true too. Yeah, true. True, 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 indeed. Let's talk about the look of the film. What do you think about the look of the film? Uh, I really like the look of the film. I think it looks a little different than a lot of Spielberg's other films. Uh, it's a little dirtier, a little grittier. Um, it's blue. It's it's very blue. I mean, that's kind of like it's blue tinted a little bit, which kind of makes sense. That's kind of the poster. That's when you think about Minority Report, I think of the color blue, I guess, if I was to associate a color with it. Um, but I think it's a little, little more dour than a lot of his other films in terms of the grit. Even some of his war films and stuff like that have a little bit of a artistic beauty to them that maybe mm-hmm. this one doesn't. Well, one of the notes I have here is that Spielberg told his message to Kaminsky was that he wanted he wanted to create the ugliest, dirtiest movie either of them have ever made. Uh, so, I mean, you're right in that regard. That, you know. Yeah. But one of the things that Kaminsky did was he did a bleach bypass of the film, and he, which is skipping the bleaching of the silver halide crystals, because uh, it's shot on Super 35. And it creates a desaturated silver tinted color. He did that for Saving Private Ryan as well. So they did, they had, they, they desaturated the film. They took 40% of the color out of the movie. And there's something else that Spielberg has been doing with Kaminsky, and I don't know when it started. I want to say that because it was in Saving Private Ryan. They they can they extremely blow out a lot of stuff. Like whites are like blinding, and yeah. and I remember in Saving Private Ryan, and ever since then I don't know what if it was before because I, I can't sit here and tell you. I know that's ET has some stuff like that, um, but Jurassic Park didn't. No, and you know none of the Raiders did, none of the Indiana Jones did, and not even I don't even think four did. No, yeah, it wasn't. No, so we're kind of mad. He kind of, I think he kind of kept it. I so a bridge of spies did so sometime in the 90s. Warhorse doesn't, though. No, War, no, Warhorse doesn't. Um, Warhorse is very much like Gone with the Wind almost, especially it's very the, yeah, very. Yeah, because, I, I, yeah. I'm a big, I'm a Warhorse guy, sorry, but um, yeah, I, th- I want to say. I want to say it was mid '90s or, or maybe after Schindler's List. Basically, anything that's more modern will take place right. with that. Blowout. Munich is extremely blown out, yes. and and this is again, this is my another pitch again. Please go see Munich. It is so really, it's so good. But anyways, so he he has done this thing where he he blows out whites constantly. It works very well for this film, mm-hmm. obviously because it's a futuristic film, even though it's dirty and ugly. Like it talked about. Yeah. I think those notes really work for this film. I love the way it looks. I think it works for Saving Private Ryan. I mean it. Lincoln was like this, and I think it was a little distracting at Lincoln at some times. It was a little desaturated. I didn't notice the brightness quite as much. In this? In Lincoln. No. Uh, oh, in, in this. In Lincoln, in this, it's, yes, in Lincoln it's, it's most in, it's in moments, but it's mostly like when they're inside, mostly when they're in the chamber, I think. Okay. Oh, uh, so but, but it, no, I've never yeah. noticed it more than in this film. Oh, yeah. No, this thing, and then Saving Private Ryan was always was very Saving desaturated. Private, because yeah. it's cloudy outside yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I, I, like you, I I dug the look of the film. I dug, I, I liked what they were doing. I, I liked that note about you know you know skipping the uh, the bleach bypass and skipping. And I actually was reading an article that I shared with a couple of people about you know that process and 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 I, I, it was fascinating. I was just like, wow, this is really really interesting. Um, but I'm not gonna bore everyone here, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll bore someone else. Um, but this was his first. Like I talked about, he shot on Super 35 in this film. This is his first time shooting in super 35 Spielberg. It's also his first movie he shot in two, three, nine, uh, since hook. So it was, you know, I, I'm sure he's done it since then. I'm, I'm not really sure. So there's a lot of interesting. And with any Spielberg film, there's always a lot of interesting tidbits in terms of what goes into the production of the film, what they're trying to do. And I, I, I always appreciate that. So, yeah, no, I, re- I, I also like the way it looked. Let's talk about, cause the, I think the story holds up the mystery um, I love the Whitworth stuff like you talked about. You know, his death is really shocking. His death is not as shocking. It's very similar to the death of Kevin Spacey's character at LA Confidential when he's sitting there and he's telling his chief about, you know, oh, we tell this and he turns under shoots him. Yeah. 
that death was very surprising. It was very similar to that. The way he died, Whitworth dies in this, but not as shocking because you knew what was happening. You knew it was oh, coming. Oh, yeah. As soon as he's talking to him, like yeah. you you were waiting his for that hands reveal low. before. Yeah, you could see like Burgess's hand low below the desk. Yeah. Well, obviously, he's holding the gun. Even when Agatha's first recalling, like, and he's almost about to take his mask off in the, what was it, Riley's like pleasure chamber kind of thing. Oh, right, right. You almost, you you know it's going to be Lamar. Yeah. So when he's talking to Whitworth the entire time, you just like, get out of there. Yeah. Get out of there. But I do love that Whitworth smiles when he's about to die. Because he's oh, a character he's, so in touch with his religion and a character who so wants to solve the case that boom, he's, he's yeah. going to die and be with God and his father or whatever. Yeah. And he solved the case. Yeah, he does solve Lamar. the case before he So he's all right dying. He's yeah. like, I, I figured it out. That's yeah. all he wants to do. Yeah. So I really like. I don't know if he's all right dying, but I think he's right dying, peace but I like it. that, yeah. like at peace, that smile yeah. that he right. gives. I think that's a really cool death. Right. Instead of being like, oh, oh no. He's like, oh, I figured it out. Like, I think I like that. Well, you also, it's also when you say really cool death, I think it's shot really well that where he stands over him and his jacket covers his face and then you hear the gunshot. Yeah, because you can't obviously smoke. Be ready to obviously and blow his face. <laughs> I think it's, that's, that's, I mean, yeah. that's Spielberg. That's, that's a, it's a really well uh, orchestrated scene. You know what uh, I hear right now? Silence. No pitter no patter. Cops, no pitter patter of any police officer feet. They kind of repeat that a little bit towards the end because he's like, no doubt the precogs have already seen oh, this. Oh, Tom Cruise no says it. Yeah. So, you like Farrell in this film. I like Farrell in everything. Is, is there any performance that I don't want to say you didn't like, but is there anything performance that you maybe wanted a little bit more of? Is there somebody like a character that you wanted to know more about or something that uh I like Fletcher and I think Fletcher's always on Anderson's side. You know, come on, don't run, don't run, John, don't run, John. Right. right, right. That bum knee. Like they're they're buddy buddy. I would like a little bit more. Like he's still all on, all in on the case on catching Anderton. I would have liked a little bit more infighting between Whitwer, Fletcher, and maybe just the squad in general. Got to catch him. And then I was not a fan of not the co- the cop who was oh. always trying to like get him. Yeah, I I thought that was a little too overblown. Like, unless I had some backstory onto why he hated John so much. Like he was just kind of a, a dick. I don't know if he hated John. I think he just liked doing his job. I don't know. He's yeah. a little too into it. Unless he is supposed to represent police brutality. Like when the lady's like, you're <laughs> making my baby cry. You're going to give him nightmares. Lady, you have me meet your kid. You're going to see some nightmares. Well, He's like, calm, calm the fuck down. Yeah. But also that tenement or wherever they, that building they go into to, when Anderton's recovering from surgery right. is a dump. Oh yeah. It's a, Holy it's like a cow. cyberpunk blade what runner. What a thing, dump. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the little bit of like almost absurdist or slapstick humor they have in there um, when they're doing like when the spiders are scanning people's eyes and when uh, they're having the jetpack fight or that or, little bit of like or when busting lo- into other people's lives. When he loses his eye. When, oh, and he used to yeah. run out of the eyeballs and yeah. one of them goes down the drain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but going into each person, like the couple that are fighting. Oh, what do you mean? Oh, get off my back. Oh, oh. And then they stop and they just let themselves be scared. See, and they go back the to one fighting. thing with that. With the one thing with that scene is it, it, it just feels like hokey. Yeah, not it, that it feels hokey, hokey but it, it, when they back up and it looks stupid, it feels like it doesn't match. Like, so I will say that there is some of the CGI and some of the special effects are a little dated. You know oh, I mean? for sure, yeah. And that that scene, not the spiders, but that in particular when they're like, oh, and she stands straight back, and the spider comes. I'm just like, man, eh, it doesn't look great. I think this film could use like a once over just to make certain special CGI special effects a little bit more high definition because the yeah. movie looks okay, but the the CG is really like that old school, like early 2000s blurry CG where it just kind of like takes you out of it. I think. I mean, I like the scene in the alleyway because it's a lot of practical stuff. With oh, with the, the jetpacks. Jet jet I yeah. thought that thing. But they is... look like they're on wires. No, I know. What are you gonna do? I mean, yeah. And and when they have the, they call they call them the dispensers or nicknamed the dispensers because they look like Pez dispensers. Uh, the ships those those look okay when they're flying over the house at the end. Right. Yeah. The cars look bad though. Oh, and the Lexus looks cool because it's a real car. So the that you brought the Lexus, they paid five million dollars to have a futuristic version of the car in the movie but like they couldn't really give them we don't know what it would look like like someone else had to design it for him which right. is so stupid but but part of that deal was also to give spielberg a uh a lexus sc430 convertible which is like a sixty thousand dollar car like that he got that as part of the deal I'm like really like you want to be in my movie it? i want a new car <laughs> <laughs> i saw that lexus uh at one of the uh, auto shows i had gone to 
That's a really cool yeah. moment. We talked about the car factory scene real quick, but that's a really cool moment when Whitworth pulls himself out of the car and then just watching the car and all of a sudden he just like pops up and they're just like, he's, he punches, he punches him. He's punches like, God damn. You know, that was a really good moment. Although I don't know how he, uh, my favorite thing about that is, you know, it's a really awesome moment and we all love it. But when you look at it again and again and again, it's like he drives right off the assembly line and the doors open. Like it's mm. like stuff like that. It's just it's it's a great scene because he runs at him. He drives off into the light. and You're like, yeah. But then you're like, why did that happen? Like, but you no one cares. The whole scene at the end, I'm just like, like a map scene that takes him to the ladies like greenhouse, which, by the way, did you like the greenhouse? Because I thought that was a bit much. That was a little too Hogwarts for me. Um, they don't really explain the plant. I don't know. Here's the thing. I don't know if the plants were something that they thought up in that, that you know, futuristic think tank think thing. Tank yeah. thing. Um, but she is somebody who creates hybrids. She created the prequel. She was part of the, the mother of the, the precogs. Yeah. I guess. I mean, do you really want to spend another 10 minutes talking about those plants and just understand the plants? I don't, understand know, if the I plants? Want the plants. I don't I, know. I will say this that that character of Hinneman was supposed to be played by Meryl Streep and she backed out, which I'm kind of happy because it would have been distracting. That would have been distracting. I'm glad it was Lois Smith. I'm glad it was somebody that you, you a character actor that you've seen in other things, that you kind of know. Uh, her kiss when she kisses Tom Cruise was completely ad lib she just did that nice. and he was like and his reaction is genuine shock when he pulls back like so she just did that which is awesome i mean honestly you're that close to tom cruise you're lowest you're gonna, you're gonna take a shot <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure cruise when they call a cut i'm sure cruise was like awesome <laughs> good job but no i was kind of glad that it was her and it wasn't meryl streep i mean all the plants are moving i, I don't it's just a lot and it's like so weird and like out of Everything we've seen, we haven't seen biologically like recreated genetically mutated things. The precogs are a result of people's drug abuse. It just seemed a little out of place to me. And the fact that she's a geneticist working on humans. This is these are plants. Maybe a two-headed dog or something would have been. Well, maybe sense. if there was more of that in the movie, or maybe if you saw the plants moving in another location. Sure, yeah. If I saw them maybe, before, yeah. yeah. But this maybe. is the only instance where that happens. Yeah, I, I maybe. I mean, but you, you get the idea that she's somebody who's advanced, so she's working with stuff. Maybe sure, but she's works also with. nuts and well, speaks in riddles. For obvious, no that's clear. But then he goes, "Just say it," and then she says it like eight times. But the thing is, also, like she knows a lot. Like I don't know how she knows all this stuff. Like Agatha, like she tells like right. why, why the um, she talks about Whitwer being there looking over like, how do you know all this? That's something I was confused with in the film, because it's like they set Anderton up as like he's been there since the beginning. Right. But then there's stuff like, ooh, this was before your time. So how long were the precogs doing like testing and stuff before mm -hmm. uh, John came over? You, I, I got a really weird sense of like the timeline of the precogs because it's been what six years that the experiment yeah it, so to the 2048 so six years yeah because he says it's six years yeah. of, six years of precom unit was closed down so was he part of it for six years i Were believe they doing so things for a few years before that uh well there you, are some of those files are before your time i don't know how see that's the thing too because they don't really tell you how long ago john's kid was taken so yeah. i don't know if it was before it around the time i don't know so maybe i mean i would like to think I could see for Casey comes there three years into the pre-crime, maybe, you know what I mean? Like maybe this happened and then he was like, I, I want to go to pre-crime. I want to stop this. And three years have gone by and he made it more popular than it was. for the three years Maybe. That. Uh, I I mean, it could be, I, I don't know. Sure. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I just thought the whole scene was a little like had things that are like kind of bothered me a little bit. The, the whole thing with the drugs with the, they called it, like narrowing, narrowing, yeah. not heroin, but narrowing, new heroin. It's like, it's really easy to, because we don't know anything about the drug, but at the end of the film, we get the impression that Cruz has kicked his habit. I mean, if he was a major drug, like how harmful is this drug? Like, you know, it's an inhaler, it's an inhalant. Mm -hmm. It gets him, whatever, it gets him what he gets and he makes him feel good and make dull, dulls the pain. Or well, did they say the he's, he's taking narrowing or yes. he's just taking something? No, they say he's an heroin addict. They say it. They okay. say it. That's what he is taking. But it's like, at the end of the movie, you're supposed to be like, okay, so that's all done now? Like, what's the, because he's, everything's back to normal. Right. And another thing too is, you go back to the apartment, you go back to the the city to live, why don't you live in that countryside house by the, by the coast? I feel like he'd have a, not responsibility. Well, he's, he's obviously an officer again. Yeah. What, what's the, like, if he felt like he had a responsibility, he had a, uh, a duty, a duty. Yeah. I feel like he had like a duty because he helped take down pre-crime to stay on and stop murders from happening still. 
since he was responsible for the lo- loss of pre-crime. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he'd stay there and still go back to the summer house. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was he going to do? Retire and work at a Target? <laughs> <laughs> they have Targets back then? Or in, in the future? future? Maybe? Uh, imagine. Super Walmarts. <laughs> Amazon, he'd work in an Amazon warehouse. It's all Amazon. <laughs> yeah, I know. Maybe they didn't get that right. Oh, my God. The amount of product placement in this film. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I'll tell you what. The Gap still sucks in the future. They still got nothing. <laughs> Gap. Ben and Jerry's, Lexus. Oh, yeah. The people everything. paid for that. They all paid for that. Oh, my USA God. Today. Do you think Spielberg told Ben and Jerry's, you know, I'll let you in, but you got to get me a cappuccino? Or yeah, a cappuccino. I want all my own ice cream that you don't sell to exactly. anybody else. Like they, got, they got a deal on that. You too. got it, Steve. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cops are still on in 2054. I saw it. that. I was like, ooh. Well, that's because it's wrong. 20th Century Fox. Well, I, that, we didn't get that wrong because cops could still come back. They could they still could like redo back, it. Yeah. <laughs> so you never know. Do you like the the scene at the end with Leo Crow? What do you think about that scene? The the scene that kind of leads the whole thing. The when when you see the that Anderson's uh, destined to to kill this guy. Do you like that scene? I mean, I do like that scene. I like that they talk about like the orgy of evidence because it is kind of ridiculous. He has all the folks. Because I forgot right. that they mentioned that. Because when he has all the photos in the bed, I'm like, what is this guy having? Like a like yeah. throwing it up in the air, going, yay! Look at all the kids that kidnapped. Like it just seemed a little too much. But then I go, oh, yeah, that's right. He does reference it later. Mm. But the scene where he's like, where John realizes this is the guy that killed my kid, even though it wasn't like, I think that's great. And like his reactions, what he talks about when he hears about the barrel, like you put him in the barrel. It went down. with I put a rock on top. It still came back up. I, I did it slowly. I did it. He didn't feel any pain. I mean, he like, lies really well. He did lie really well. <laughs> it's like, like he's a performer. Like, it was like a performance. It was yeah. like, I'm really doing that really well. It would have been better if you were like just like kind of stumbling. Yeah, I killed him. Like it's that really guy died. I killed that kid. Good. It's oddly specific to what you were doing. He looked real dumb with his eyes dead. <laughs> yeah. Um. I my note in that in that for that scene is that Samantha Morton, who plays Agatha, is like in her own movie in that scene in a good way. She's you know she's doing something on that on that uh bed, bed. when everything's happening. She's just screaming. And she's like on all fours and screaming, like just having like just whatever, don't whatever do it, it is. Don't do it. Right. I feel like she's off doing something with Agatha that either Spielberg was like, go ahead, do what you need to do. Cause she's always doing something different. Well, she's someone who's never really had a childhood, never really had a right. life. Like she's never slept. So she's got to be a little off her rocker and a little more like someone who can't handle emotions because she's never really had any other than watching murderers and being like just fearful. So this movie was going to be done much a year, few years earlier than this, but Spielberg decided to go do AI and artificial intelligence and, and the script got reworked. But Tom Cruise was still going to be in it. But back then it was going to be Kate Blanchett as Agatha, Matt Damon as Whitwer, Ian McKellen as Burgess and Jenna Elfman as Laura Anderson. And then the, after the delay, they actually offered the role of Whitwer to Javier Bardem, but he turned it down because he didn't just want, quote, just want to run around chasing Tom Cruise, which is what Farrell puts in. So the original cast, I was actually... I'm actually okay with all that, with the exception of Jenna Elfman as Laura. I'm not a Jenna Elfman fan. So I I just don't know if she would have been the right. I don't feel like she has a lot to do. Yeah. I think she would have been all right. I mean, I like what we got. I like Max von Sydow is really, really good. Yep. Um, You know, I don't know how Kate Blanchett would have done the Agatha role because I think Samantha Morton was was pretty pretty spot on. Really good as Agatha. And I don't know if I've ever really seen too much younger you know around this time Kate Blanchett so I don't I don't know how I would have like what I could compare that to well the reason why Matt Damon couldn't do it is because of born identity I know yeah yeah Matt Damon would have done a great job obviously but I'm glad we got Colin Farrell because I'm a big Colin Farrell fan so yeah that works too big Colin Farrell fan <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I think that I think Ian McKellen would have been interesting especially this would be during his uh Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Then. Well, Lord of the Rings is just coming out, right? Exactly. So you're seeing him, but he's already in your mind's eye as a, a good guy, as a hero. Mm. So having him be this villain, it would be a little bit maybe harder to expect him to be the villain. Yeah. Whereas Max von Sydow, I'm like, no, this guy's got to be, he's got to be. Oh, yeah, no, not my boy Max. <laughs> Come on. He's going to be the bad guy. <laughs> did you play the video game when it came out? The I did. I owned the video. Minority Report. Everybody runs. What was it? What kind of game was it? It was like a uh, like a platforming shoot, like a side scrolling 3D beat 'em up game. Okay. Uh, th- third person. I remember it being fun, but obviously like kind of rushed to kind of meet the movie. 
but a good time. And you could use that spinning shotgun thing, which was awesome. <laughs> it wasn't perfect, but it was a good probably $30 game. Although I'm sure I spent a full $60 on it when it came out. <laughs> Way to go. Is it really $60 back then? Even back then. Yeah. Wow. Even Sega Genesis games used to be 80 bucks. Wow. Interesting. Now this is going to be a specific scene in the movie. When he, John is left and Anderton's on the run, we're trying to figure out where they're going. Not when he sits down and breaks apart the uh, the keyboard. Keyboard. When he first sits in Anderton's seat, and the that woman comes over. Yeah, she says Anderson. Oh, does she? She does. I rewound it and went back. She says Anderson. It's like, come on, man, it's Anderton. So yeah, I didn't know if you noticed that. I did not notice it, but I did think it was weird that you call him Anderton because the whole time, I'm like, why Anderton? Did somebody mess up spelling his name? That's his name. I think that's his name in the story. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Other thing, speaking of Whitworth, is I don't understand how fast he learned the how to use the screen, the three D screen, the the. Like he's only there to observe. And then all of a sudden he's running the investigation and he's controlling the thing and he's sitting there. Look, there it's could like, be more people that have big screens. I just don't, I don't, but they're the only pre-crime unit, but he, but that's a, just a giant research screen. He works for the attorney general, right? He's there to make sure. Yes. He's there to yeah. make sure that the, the pre-crime unit is on board uh, is above board so that they can become a national thing. But here's the other thing too. So these precogs are going to, Start for the, country. for the whole entire country I are going to predetermine, are going to discover crime happening. They're, the entire country. I wondered the same thing the whole time I'm watching it going, wait, but they can, they're clearly DC is too much for them. How are they going to do the entire country? And then obviously the world's going to want. Are them. there other precogs? There's got to there? be other precogs, which is probably the plot of the TV show that I never watched. No, the plot of the TV show is takes place. ten. I read it. takes place 10 years after this happens. And one of the twins is working as a partner with the, uh, the a cops, woman. Yeah. And she is like, and he's trying to figure out where he plays fits in this world. And he's helping her solve crimes that didn't last. <laughs> It was like one, two seasons. I wanted no, to watch it, it but one I never season. It. it was started like in November, at, uh, I, and I think it ended like in, or maybe it was one season. It was just one season, so no, it didn't last. But it's a Fox show, so you know it's going to last. Fox cuts, last. yeah. Five Fox shows don't do well; they just cut them. Loose. Like being human or becoming human or whatever. Being human, yeah. being human. No, being human was on Sci-Fi. I'm sorry, becoming maybe it was becoming human. Yeah, the one with uh, Carl Urban. Was, oh, was it you like that? I did like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. So we both love this film, Butler. Mm-hmm. But I've got, I've got critic quotes. Oh man, that Come don't on. like this film. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you off now. Andrew Ohi here of the online magazine Salon. What's this guy's address? Expressed <laughs> excitement over the atypical. Oh, this isn't a bad one, but this is why this one I have. I thought this was a little condescending. Okay. Excite. He expressed excitement over the atypically hard edge of the movie. Little Steven Spielberg is all grown up now into, of all things, a superior film artist. Hey, go fuck yourself. It's like, come on. What? Yeah, right. I mean, like, that, that's a little this condescending. This guy's been making blockbusters hand over foot. Little Steven Spielberg. cinema as we know This it. is, yeah, this is five, three, no, five years, no, four years, four years after Saving Private Ryan. This is like much longer after Schindler's List. G- give me a break. I thought that was super, super condescending and almost like I don't watch movies before 2000, like mm-hmm. almost like that. Here's the bad ones. <laughs> no, this is another bad one. Uh, you only have good reviews. No, no, I do have a bad one. <laughs> this one's not bad. I didn't know. I didn't understand this. I thought this was another condescending one. Jay Hoberman of the Village Voice said it is the most entertaining, least pretentious genre movie Steven Spielberg has made in the decades since Jurassic Park. It's like, what, what, what's with the shot? What's with the dig? I mean, AI is kind of pretentious, but it's not really his. It's I don't think AI is pretentious. I think it's a little pretentious. It's fucking Pinocchio. Do you think <laughs> Pinocchio is pretentious? I think certain. Versions really? The flesh fair is pretentious? You don't yes. think humanity is going to get to that? <laughs> give me a, that's not pretentious. I'll give you the bad one now. All right. Jonathan Rosenbaum. Then of the Chicago Reader said not to not be said not to be conned into thinking that some sort of serious thoughtful statement is being delivered along with the roller coaster ride. Come on, man. I know it's it's like you're just you're just saying shit to say shit. You're being contrarian to be contrarian. It's a good film. It's okay to say it's a good film. It's okay. It's okay to say it's a good film. I do have one more. I think here we go. Andrew Saris of the New York Observer gave the film a negative review in which he described the script as full of plot holes, the car chases as silly. And criticized the mixture of futuristic environments with defiantly retro costuming. 
The complexity of the storyline was also a source of criticism for Kenneth Turan of the Los Angeles Times, who considered the plot too intricate and difficult to follow. <laughs> Both Rosenbaum and Hoberman, who I mentioned earlier, belittle the titular, the titular, yeah, Minority Report as a red herring. It's a little bit of a red herring since there is no actual Minority Report in right. the case that they're solving. And it does come in a little late. Mm-hmm. I will say that, but it's a good title. Mm-hmm. That's why you got to use the title. However, the idea of the fact that it's difficult relying to on that to yeah, I don't think it was difficult to follow it's at all. It's not difficult to follow at all. Yeah, if you're sitting there going, "Wait, she was Agus's mother," you should have gotten that eight scenes before why she's focusing on her. Right, right. And that she was a heroin addict, just like yo, shockingly, all their mothers. <laughs> I never understood. Uh, and the costuming? Yeah. What's the costume? What do you think we're gonna wear in in thirty years? Forty years? I know. Not pants and shirts. We're gonna. It's all. It all comes back. All the yeah. styles just keep coming back. It's it's gonna be clothes. Fun fact: It's gonna be clothes <laughs> that they wear. And there's no car chase. There's a scene in a car factory building. Well, when he there's gets in the car, car and, he's, and he's talking to Lamar, and then they're like, "Oh, they're coming!" And then the oh. car, it pulls it back, but then he jumps from the car. Yeah, right? it's yeah, not a chase. Yeah, he's yeah. just climbing cars. Yeah, I know. Uh, the, so the the this is another moment in the film that I liked when, but I'd never understand it because it happens in movies all the time. When his wife uh, is talking to Lamar, and she he says, "I'll figure out how this woman drowned," and he, she's like, "I never said he, she drowned." It's like, oh yeah, I. It's a really good moment when someone is caught in a lie. Why do you reveal it you, you, to the killer? Like, sit, just basically saying, uh, I know you're lying. Kill me later. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, we'll have this conversation later. Maybe at your it, cabin. If it's, a, it's a fantastic moment, but Lamar, it's just I will like, never be going back to my cabin. Thank you. He like pushes the chair away and he's like, oh, We'll talk about this later. I'll come to your house and murder you. Like, <laughs> it's just like, Come on. And the other thing, in, ter- in terms of like his, at the end of the film, he's being honored and it's going to be national. The guy that was investigating, where that was investigating whether you were going to be, you know, legit, right. is murdered while he's there. I'm sorry, but they're they're, they're not going to be like green light. They're going to yeah. be like, we need to pause. What the hell is going on? There's no on conversation here? Yeah. about. It. I thought the same thing. There's nothing about the murder yeah. of Whitworth. Yeah, it's it's a there's a lot of there's a lot of like well, messiness I mean, he involved. Could have made him disappear, I guess. But, but there's a lot of messy. No, could no because when they put Anderton away and they arrest him, they say, "Oh, for the for murder, murder of, of Dan- Oh, that's Whitworth. right. He yeah. killed him with his own gun. Right. But it's just that's the other thing too. It's like you just tacked on that murder. You know, in a world where everybody is tracked, I'm pretty sure you can figure out he wasn't anywhere near his yep. his apartment. So. In fact, when Whitmer was murdered, he was basically yeah. in the cabin. And Lamar, Lamar going to the apartment never got eye scanned on his way there by anything. Like, mm-hmm. was he like, I mean, like that, like, I get it. You're supposed to think that, but you don't see it. So, you know, it's plausible that they could figure that out. Yeah. But whatever. We love the film. And anyways, you know, whatever. but not, <laughs> but that, if somebody came out, but what about this? What about that? I can't argue with that because like, you're right. Yeah. Really bring it some up. holes in the plot. And my, my only argument is like, it's a two and a half hour film. I don't want three. So <laughs> I understand. True, yeah. <laughs> For the sake of moving the story along, that's probably stuff they couldn't really talk about. So let's get to the point now where we do lines for the film. What's your favorite line in this film? Obviously, it's run! <laughs> uh, but I do like when he's like, oh, you little uh, stick the landing there, you little shaky on the landing there. You know, it's my bum knee. You know, don't run, John. Don't mm-hmm. run, John. And he just like goes that's into it. Scene, like, yeah. Yeah, like Everybody that. runs. Everybody runs. I Everybody love, runs. I love, don't ever say his name when he yells it at the end of the thing. Oh, uh, when he just loses yeah. cool. I also like, you're going to rot. You can either uh, kill me and prove it works or right rot in hell with a halo. Yep. I thought that was a, that was a good uh, con- contrasting line. I love Anderson's line in the beginning was like, give the man his hat. I like that line. Mm-hmm. Um, I like uh, what's his face's line. Uh, Gideon's line: "If you dig up the past, all you get is dirty." One of the moments I like is when they're in the when they're in the elevator, and he's got the gun on. Uh, what oh, were he thinks the he's red like, ball? Now put alarm. the gun. Now put the gun down, John. I don't hear a red ball. Oh, the fucking alarm goes off. He's just like, uh. <laughs> oh shit! Oh, shit, oh, shit. <laughs> I thought that I had was that. Really yeah, that's one of my favorite parts. Yeah, um, yeah. I, there's a there's a ton of lines in this film that like we used to always say, we used to always say the run line all the time. We were uh, back in the day. We don't ever, you ever say his name. We used to love that line. So well, yeah, got, here's an orgy of evidence. <laughs> yeah. You know, you have so much evidence that you can't help but acquit, uh, prosecute the guy. Do you know how many times in my time as a, mur- a homicide detective, I saw an orgy of evidence. How many? <laughs> None. <laughs> like I know I, uh, I have a ton of other notes, but I know that this episode cannot be an hour and a half. So why are we saying that this movie is forgotten? <laughs> because we're talking about it like we've never talked about it before. And we really have never talked about it. All the times we've talked movies, we've 
we've said the run line a bunch of times to each other, mm -hmm. but we've never really talked about Minority Report together. And I think that in terms of Spielberg movies, you're going to talk about a bunch of other movies before you talk about this. I mean, even during this time, he did, you know, Saving Private Ryan's a little bit before this. You've got War of the Worlds, um, which he did with Tom Cruise as well. It's a couple years after. You know, you got, and then you got his, like, what I call his later year movies, which is like Bridge of Spy, Munich. War Horse, Munich. Uh, well, Munich is a little bit like uh, this see, as well. Gritty I, can, and, and I think violent. I can make a claim that Munich is one of his forgotten films because I don't think people talk about Munich enough. No, I love I Munich. I think because Munich is also very unlike him in terms of the uh, way it is. I hear you. It's um, it's it's yeah. a very it's a movie that it's very different for him. Spielberg films have always been the like, especially recently, his movies that come out have always been come out at the right time. Mm -hmm. Like in terms of like they're they're they may be set in the past or about something else, but they're kind of shadowing something a feeling that's happening in the world in this time uh west side stories like that the post is like that munich's like that munich is a very divisive it's about obviously an event in time that you know some people don't want to talk about but it right. is such a good film but yeah no I, go ahead continue your continue your thought so i just think that that's that shades like not shades but that kind of covers minority report you're going to talk about you know sci-fi movies i feel like you're going to talk about war of the worlds before you talk about this in terms of sci-fi and you know tom cruise and steven spielberg working together i think that bridge of spies munich although i think that's probably earlier warhorse west side story those are his later year movies those are his kind of big time blockbustery kind of homage even though they talk about subject matter that's prevalent today they're kind of an homage to the past whereas minority report is kind of within his like action fun blockbuster genre which i think has faded away from him right now and you're going to talk about the other films like raiders um even saving private ryan in terms of like action scenes and stuff like that uh, above this film and i think that that hurts it i think the fact that it we talk about the special effects are dated. The fact that we've done five other Tom Cruise movies already before we got to this one. I feel like it's kind of a little in between, although I think people know about this movie and obviously they saw it was a very successful movie. I think that it's a little forgotten in terms of just people talking about the movie and how good it is and how rewatchable it is even today. Yeah, I would say that this is probably not a forgotten film, but all, but maybe a film that people just don't know about. Like it's over 20 years old. So, you know, people that were born before it, you know what I mean, are in their 20s oh, or teenagers. Oh, people in their 20s probably yeah, don't have seen it. Born after it. Um, so, you know, this is probably a movie that someone would have to show them. I uh, even know, like, my fiance, at least hasn't seen it. I remember, well, she saw it now, but I remember in college I yeah. had to show it to her because back then she was in high school. Sure. Like a freshman in high school. She didn't care. And, back <laughs> and then, I, I made was, like, her care. Watching all these kind of films. So I was like, oh, you guys, my notary report's really good. So even people in their thirties, I feel like are like, we're too young to really appreciate this movie at the time. Well, we have the luxury. I mean, maybe me more than you, but we have the luxury of growing up in a time when blockbusters were fun and, and they were exciting and like future, you know, ET jaws, like they were like a new and stuff. They, yeah. Right now. A lot of the stuff is very satirical and cynical and, you know, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. A lot of their reference points are, these movies that we all grew up with, like I am sick and tired of people explaining time travel by saying back to the future. You can't, yeah. I hate that. But, but we had that luxury of growing up with these type of films. I don't really need Spielberg to go back and do these type of films. I, I get it. He's the best. He was, he's one of the best. He's arguably the best. I guess that's probably what I'll say. Um, I don't know anybody now that would do this type of film like him. No, I'm sorry. I just, there isn't anyone. I mean, listen, there's a ton of great directors, ton of great directors, but there's, only one Spielberg right now. And I don't know if that's, if I'll ever see that, that this type these, those type of films that we grew up with returning these kind of like, you know, we talk, you talk about all the time, how you, you desperately want an adventure film mm -hmm. and you like crave it so much that you want like movies like jungle cruise to be great. You yeah. want movies like Jumanji, which Jumanji is good, but you want it to be what you want it to be because you are, you're desperate for those type of films yeah. and those type of films aren't around anymore because they're it's just not so made, they're not made well. No, no. Then you get an Uncharted. Right. You get, or and you get like the Lost City. <laughs> you get movies that are just kind of like, like you're not catch. you're not, you're not, you are missing the boat on what the type of film you want to do. You're right. trying to do, you, I know you want to do Indiana Jones, but you're not, you're doing something that is completely nothing like it. So I think we were blessed with in terms of growing up in that time and not just Spielberg Lucas as well. So 
I don't need him to go back and do that. Let him. I I want him to. I'd love to see his older stuff. I I know that one of his things, like he wanted, he wants to work like Clint Eastwood keeps working into his nineties. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not Clint Eastwood's not making a fantastic film every time, but he's making films, and I appreciate seeing them. So I mean, I want people to keep doing what he's doing. He's got the Fablemans coming out, and he's got a new one that is in pre-production right now. I believe is he directing the Fablemans. He did direct. He directed okay, it. Yeah, okay. I believe he directed it. I'm pretty sure I saw that he okay. directed it. Um, I know he's got another one that's coming like, that he's in pre-production for. So I, I want to see all that stuff, the, the older stuff. Oh, I, sure. I'm I, I, I really like, see, the thing is, was like his older stuff, like with the post and Munich and, and war Horse, like we've never, we don't, we don't grow up with those. We don't watch those films more than once. We've only seen them. Then we moved on. Like go back to them, not you, but go back to them, like, and watch, and you'll see those moments that you love. And you're like, wow, like no other director is going to do that. I don't know. Again, I said I wouldn't do this, but I went on a tangent about Spielberg. Dude, I apologize. Did. Right? Did. I just don't want to do one more note. One more <laughs> note about uh, Minority Report, and then we'll stop. Uh, in 2016, io9 posted a video about a movie entitled "Is the Ending to Minority Report One Giant Deception?" It theorizes that everything that happens after Anderton is app- apprehended from for Leo Crow and Danny Whitworth's murders and he's haloed is not real. It's all a dream that's happening in his mind as he's still in the stasis. Because everything you want to happen happens. It's like a dream come true. <clears throat> my point, my thing there is though, why is he having, why is he having uh, memories and uh, of scenes he's, of parts he's not in? Like, why is he seeing the Lamar Burgess and his wife's conversation? It's a dream. It's <laughs> yeah, all a dream. I, I think that's bullshit. <laughs> so anyway, I think, I don't think it's real either. I think the movie would have told you if it was a right. Movie. I think if Spielberg's but, like the director is going to make questions, if it's Christopher Nolan, but no, oh, maybe he I, I take that back. It? No, because Christopher Nolan he'd answer if we did. He answers your questions. There. Yeah. But I, take I think, that back. I think it's an interesting theory. Sure. But it's, yeah, it, that's all it is. I think it's a clickbait theory. Yeah. But it's basically, <laughs> it's an interesting one. It's a well thought out one, but it's still just a, Stupid theory. Right. All right. So, Butler, why don't you tell everyone where they can find us? All right. You can find us on ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com because we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. While you're there, check out on all the other great podcasts and videos we have for your listening and viewing pleasure. We're also on all the social medias, all the different podcast cast platforms. And you can find us on uh, Facebook in the lobby, Forgotten Cinemas in the lobby, where you can tell us all about how... You don't think Minority Report's a forgotten film, although if you're listening to up to this point, then you've already heard us say why Minority Report's a forgotten film, because no one talks about it as much. So go ahead, tell us how much you liked it, or tell us how much you don't like Spielberg, and then Field will find your address, and he will come find you. I won't find you. I'll come find out. We'll sit, be like, we will Bob, sit down. Uh, we'll, strikes back. We will sit down, and we will. you will show me who you think is a great director, and we'll watch that film, and then I and then we will sit down, and I will show you a Spielberg film, and then we will discuss the difference. No, it's going to be like uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, where you get the list of all the haters, and you go door to door. <laughs> no, I respect everyone's opinion about movies. It's fine. I, I just I'm a big Spielberg fan. And if you're not, that's fine. Don't, you don't have to. It's it's not a big deal. I'll I'll still be your friend. It's OK. I don't think you would. Be. We, won't, we won't be close friends. We'll just be friends. We'll be acquaintance. Friends. <laughs> we'll be acquaintances. <laughs> Join us next week as season 14 kicks off. We're not going that far. We're going back to 2017. Uh, we're going to do the action film Atomic Blonde. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually this has been on our list for a while. This is think uh, top right. five on our list. Yeah. Not like in terms of like. We really wanted just one of the first ones we saw. Uh, it was one of the films that I really liked and and I, I liked. I think I kept seeing clips of it and I was like, I kind of dig this film. And now no one really kind of came and went. It had a lot of hype. And then that hype just kind of went. Poof. It kind of, yeah, just like was just like here and gone. I'm like, it wasn't at, that bad. Why are we not yeah. talking about it? So we're doing that next week. Atomic Blonde, uh, I guess. I don't know. Everyone have a great week. Um, I don't know when you're listening to this. So. I don't know. Hope your summer's going well. I'm Mike Phil. <laughs> I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. Remember, guys, everybody runs. <laughs> Watch me, Nick. <laughs>